Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Delta Waterfowl's The Voice of the Duck Hunter podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Sean Weaver, all-around good guy and host of Meat Eaters Waterfowl Hunting Show, Duck Lore. Sean and I both attended Delta's inaugural National Duck Hunters Expo in Little Rock, Arkansas, where we sat down to talk Duck Lore Season 2 and take a glimpse at Sean's life before joining Meat Eater. Stick around and enjoy the discussion. Sean Weaver from Meat Eater, and you guys will probably recognize him from the show Duck Lore, right? Yep. Yes, sir. So I got that right? Yep. Well, that's cool. So when Sean and Ryan Callahan, when they were in North Dakota last fall, filming one of the episodes, they were joined by uh, one of my coworkers, Matt Chenard, and they installed some hen houses, had some pretty cool hunts. That show turned out really well, by the way, Sean. Yeah, I'm happy you liked it. That was one of the... To me, that was one of the shining episodes of the season of Duck Lore last year. You know, of the first half of the season for sure. Because you got all the fun, right? You got geese, ducks, conservation. You know, you got to learn about some of the people more behind the scenes in organizations like Delta. Speaking about Matt. Um, you got to see the elements actually influence the hunt went from really dry to one perfect rain that gave us like sheet water and speckle bellies. I don't know. It was just a fun episode. Yeah. I, I think for me, I think the highlight of that particular hunt was that was, that was an every man's hunt. That was a normal hunt. Yeah. Normal problems, troubleshooting, innovation, and with a little perseverance, you guys had a lot of success. Yeah. It was good hunting. I mean, it was good hunting. We you know, first day, and I would encourage people to go check out that hunt. It was Duck Lore Season 1, Episode 2, North Dakota. First day, we shoot a uh, bunch of speckle bellies mm-hmm. and some ducks. And you get to see Callahan's dog snort after getting bit by a rattlesnake her first hunt back. She did pretty good, considering she'd, like, almost lost her life. That was her first hunt That back? was her first hunt back after she wow. got bit by a rattler. Uh, and then the next day, we ended up pass shooting cranes because wouldn't decoy and that was one of those things that i think made it like an everyday dude's hunt you're out there on the x okay they're not decoying but they're flying 10 yards over your blind traditional i guess waterfowl tv would have just like not shown the hunt but no like we shot a you know we shot a pile of cranes we went home with a bunch of crane meat i have one half breast left you have one left i have one half breast left i'm I'm like saving it for a special day. Yeah, train so good. Yeah, no, I, I I mentioned that when you guys were in Bismarck last fall. I mentioned that one of the things that I love about Meat Eater, the shows, the brand is, you know, at least in the early goings of Meat Eater, a lot of the shows didn't have the success of Harvest, but made an awesome show out of it anyway. Yeah. It, it's a trophy experience. Yeah, and it, and you were able to bring along. You know, they were able to bring along mm, the viewer. That's a good way of putting that. I yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, I always say I'm a trophy hunter, but I like the trophy experience. And right. those are easy to find if you have your, your mindset right. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. A trophy experience can be getting on the mother of all shoveler spots. Yeah. Right? Like the Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Duck Lore Season 2, Episode 1 is on the Salt Lake. Nope. You're not shooting mallards. Like, of course right. not. Uh the birds there are eating brine shrimp and brine shrimp eggs, which uh, Salt Lake, by the way, a whole nother conversation to have yeah. right now. Uh, but, you know, we sh- we're shooting shovelers and green wings. 
And in that episode, we actually pluck a shoveler and pluck green wing and nice. compare the meat, um, which was fun for me. I've eaten a ton of shoveler, but I've never plucked one. Uh, it was always one of those things that kind of got lumped in with the Canada goose, right? Slow yeah. cooked, turned right. into barbecue, fajitas, you know, things like that. Uh, never had done it just straight, like salt, pepper, a little bit of garlic. Uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the episode, we really liked it. It's like yeah. really freaking good. People love to talk smack on the shoveler as bad eating, but I'm telling you, like, you couldn't... T- there's a little difference between it and the teal, but it was more a dry meat difference. Oh, really? It yeah. wasn't... It was like it, the the spoonie was just a little bit drier, but it's still really good. Yeah. I've only met one duck that I didn't like. It just so happened to be a hen bufflehead, and I don't know if it was that bird, It was if it was what I did, but... Every other duck that I've ever eaten, I really enjoy it. I like gamey yeah. meat. For yeah. Sure. Well, I think yeah, I think that's part of it is people need to change their taste buds to mm-hmm. being used to some some iron, yeah, and some livery taste. I mean, and to be fair, that, that wasn't teal and shovelers, but yeah, a hen bufflehead, I can definitely see where yeah. that would be. Yeah, the case. she wasn't that great. But no. I, but I also I guess I've never I have not had the opportunity. I guess I did, but it was cooked in a real strange way i think you could have cooked anything that way and it would taste good but you know i think it was a a scoter or an eider you know yeah. i've heard those can be stronger yeah. but i guess it's you are what you eat i had kind of a bummer happen this fall with that um i had me and steve went out duck lore uh episode four and we hunted on lake michigan lake superior shooting sea ducks, you know, shooting long tails and uh, white wing scoter. And I was actually really pumped to try them because I've only heard bad. And I'll be, like, totally honest here. The white wing scoter's fat was salmon pink, which doesn't make me optimistic that it's going right. to be great. It's right. fishy-colored meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so bring it home. And then leave for another hunt, come home, my freezer had gone out. So you didn't get so to I eat didn't it. So I didn't ever get to even oh eat it. My I lost a whole freezer of meat. It was a total bummer. I was freezer went bad or the electricity went out? Electricity went out. Okay. Yeah. And never flipped a breaker. And I was gone for, you know, I was gone for like You know, I was gone for I'd say 10 days and so it was just like completely oh, it was gone, gone. Yeah. that is one of my greatest fears is you know have a big freezer i have antelope and mule deer and whitetails and ducks and geese and pheasants and I'm, i would be so sad because oh, that's so literally what i eat off of yeah for a year of course i could go to the grocery store but i don't want to i had i had i'd say probably almost a quarter of beef in there mm. a ton of duck from like the early season uh, a bunch of snow goose, some pork from my family's farm at home. Like, it was filled, and I just lost it all. It was the biggest. I was devastated. Devastated. That's, yeah, I, I would be, too. I bet you people are cringing right now thinking of that one. But Well, it's your worst nightmare. It is. It, it is. is. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey, I, I had, it's a, it's a personal story. We were backing up to shovelers a little bit. So I was born and raised in west central Wisconsin, 
when we went hunting, you could guarantee your two wood ducks, mm-hmm. and you could not guarantee any other duck. You know, on occasion we'd shoot a teal, on occasion we'd shoot a mallard. So that was it. It was wood ducks, teal, mallards, that was it. And then when I moved west for the first time, I knew all the ducks. I, you know, I was fascinated by all the duck species. But I remember seeing my first shovelers ever. Yeah. I spent probably an hour belly crawling up to those shovelers, <laughs> flushed them, harvested, I think three of them. And I was so proud. Little did I know that they have such a bad reputation. Which is so undeserved. I think the only reason, <laughs> this is kind of mean, but I think the only reason the spoonbill has the reputation it does is two reasons. One, that they decoy easily, mm-hmm. right? And two, because they got an ugly face. They do. <laughs> they do. It's, it's, Biologically, it's a cool face. It's amazing. It's amazing what it, yeah. they do. That whole resource partitioning. Yeah, I mean, you spend a little time watching ducks in the wetland. You know, you have the geese who dip, you know, who can, yeah. who can dabble very deep. Yeah. The mallard, not as deep. Teal, feed in a different location. Shovelers are skimming across the top. It's amazing. Yep. And then the divers, obviously, are going yep. to depths that a dabbler can't reach. And So, yeah, but it's that, that uh, boot lip, yeah. mobile mallard, smiling um, mallard. I hear all those different Hollywood. Things. Hollywood. Hollywood's they, my they favorite. All those reputations and uh-huh. all those names. There's probably not a duck with more nicknames than no, a shoveler. No, I don't think so. Probably not. Probably no. not. And and if if you could maybe try to say like Mallard has a bunch of nicknames only because it's loved. It's the exact opposite reason. Very below. Yeah. Yeah. Um I have a question for you about shovelers because it's something I see a ton in South Dakota, and I've I've tried to read up on it. I've heard it explained to me. I don't, but I don't know if it's true. Why they do their spinning vortex, and I don't know if anyone's actually got like solid research on it. But you see shovelers getting these groups of fifty, hundred birds on a lake, and they spin in a circle, all dabbling, super tight packed together, and. I've yet to actually meet anyone, and maybe you don't know either, that like can explain what they're doing when they do that. No, your your, your search continues. Okay. I don't know either. Oh, it's something else. It's I've got video footage of it on like Lake Ponset in South Dakota, Lake Thompson in South Dakota, where whole rafts of spoonbills accumulate and they do a rotational clockwise like spin as a group, hmm. almost like a vortex. Anyway, it's one of those. Well, weird, you're gonna have to post that. Questions. Yeah, just real quick there. So, Sean, I do have to, I have to admit, you post some pretty cool stuff on your own Instagram Thanks. page. So, I would encourage everybody. What's your Sean Weaver D W C S E A N is how you spell Sean for me. I don't I, know if that's the right way, but I've always been. I've always tried to figure out what is the D W C. Oh, that was uh, Dreamweaver Creative. When I had my production company pre-Meat Eater. Okay. Before, yeah, before I worked at Meat Eater. Gotcha. And I just never took it out of the... Eh, why, yeah. why not? So, yeah. So perhaps everyone look for a shoveler vortex on yeah. an upcoming post. Yeah, I, would, I should post that. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Duck Lore, Duck Lore was fun filming. I was happy we got to incorporate Delta and... Uh, we won't say too much about next year's plans, but more Delta. Coming yeah, I, in the I would say, Sean, I duck hunt too. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, we do got to get you on so, an episode. So, yeah. Uh-huh. No, we do. <laughs> you know, Not so subtle. One, one episode I wanted to do this year, and this speaks to the pervasiveness across the West of this drought, but um, I wanted to do an episode with Dr. Chris Nikolai mm-hmm. because he helped me so much with information for our Meat Eater Duck reports yep. and all the articles I'm writing for the Meat Eater website. I mean, he has been as he is for you guys, a wealth of information. Yeah. He's bottomless pit of information. And I wanted to go do a hunt with him in Nevada on some of his old stomping grounds out sure. there. Uh, but the drought is just so rough. Yeah, well, yeah, Chris is Delta Waterfowl's waterfowl scientist. So he basically, I guess for the listener, um, you can check out his bio on our webpage, but Chris is a very accomplished research scientist so he he runs the research when we when delta designs a research project and says it's go time it's chris's so yeah works with the professors selecting students the research design the modeling the statistics but yeah that dude he has so much ex- experience and knowledge that's an academic for you right yeah like, and and he uses that information so he doesn't lose it yep but hey yeah. so again sean we're we're at the Delta Waterfowls, uh, I guess the Duck Hunters Expo here yes, sir. at the State House. It's called the State House Convention Center, is that right? Downtown Little Rock, yeah. Yeah, yep. beautiful. Humid as can be. I don't know how you felt when <laughs> it's 99% humidity out there. When I walked out this morning, I about died. You know, I've been in Bozeman a lot lately, and it's, you know, 10% humidity this time of year there, and then get whacked in the face with. Yeah. Because we had a morning rain today. But I got to say, Joel, there there was, like, more excitement, more hype, more energy around this expo than I, I personally remember having in the last, you know, nine years of me working in the waterfowl space. And it's, God, it's been fun. I mean, it's That's already, cool. it's, you know, it's day one here. Yeah. And it... You know, and part of it maybe be a little bias of like being a post-COVID world of finally being back in the truck. Everything tro- is awesome, it right? Feels when you good. can see people, feels good seeing friends and and colleagues. You know, after a couple of years of not seeing some people, but no, it's been a fun show. It's no, that's good. awesome. That's great feedback. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I told this story probably too many times. I started with Delta in March of 2001, and I think there were eight employees at the time. We've outgrown office space two or three times yeah. since then. Now we're at 80 staff members That's and, awesome. and just exploding. And, and I think it's because... Okay, the big, oh, the big have the to night, forgive us here. It's one of the drawbacks, Sean, your, uh, of doing the podcast at the <laughs> expo. That's the only one. So the listener can can hear the, I think it's a raffle ticket or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I didn't buy one. But, but you know, Delta has, it, it's hard for me to, I guess I feel like I have to pinch myself a little bit because that little old Delta that I started with, Yeah. it's like, holy cow, I can't believe it. This place is packed. And it's all waterfowl stuff. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. I, I just love it. So... There's a couple things that, that we'd like to talk about here, but Sean, I don't think on the last podcast that we recorded together, we talked about 
how you, we talked about your upbringing and your introductions to waterfowling, but I don't think we covered your transition to meat eater. Yeah. I remember seeing you on, you know, as a guide, right? Yep. I saw yep. you on one of the Netflix episodes of yep. Meat Eater. Mm-hmm. How did that come to be for you? Yeah, so, you know, in college, so I, I moved from Iowa, I grew up in Iowa, and then moved to South Dakota State for college, which seems to be the way a lot of waterfowl-loving college kids go, especially people actually that end up being like Delta employees and Delta, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, Delta interns, all that, because, I mean, uh, you know, we were talking about off the podcast earlier, Dan Morrison, who's mm-hmm. a college roommate of mine, worked for Delta, interned for Delta yep. for a while. Um, you know, there's a lot of Dans out there that go yeah. to South Dakota State because they love ducks, and, like, that's a first step for them into the organization of Delta Waterfowl. But so I moved to South Dakota State because of the duck hunting and, you know, some of the, yeah, I guess a little bit college, like some of the majors mm-hmm. there. But uh, while I was there, I became a became a hunting guide uh, oh, wow. my sophomore year of college. Oh, during college. Yep, yep. And cool. uh, then actually started making videos of our hunts, realized I was making videos that were resonating with people. People liked the content I was doing and decided going into my senior year of college that I was going to start a business hiring myself out for video production. Uh, Ended up, by the time I graduated college, I quit guiding and went into video production full-time. And then a year later, I hired Max Barta, who is the son of a... Actual former, former Delta, Delta employee. employee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Hello, Mitch. In case you're listening, <laughs> uh, hired Max Barta from Bismarck, North Dakota. He was my first employee, and from there it was Katie Bar the door. You know, we got hired to do all kinds of outdoor industry work, uh, a lot of waterfowl-related stuff. We also worked for Cabela's, Bass Pro Shop, bunch of other brands, uh, Lucky Duck, Delta Water, or Lucky Duck. Dakota Decoy, okay. both brands here. And, uh, yeah, you know, that just escalated eventually into on one of those photo shoots I was hired for, I met Steve. Okay. I was doing a photo shoot for Benchmade Knives with Steve um, through Cabela's. And that was how him and I became connected. Okay. And then, you know, he called me and said, hey, we want to start doing waterfowl content. You want to help us out? And so that was that. That's was the Netflix, the Meat Eater show. Before, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that was kind of their test, right? Of okay. like, is this guy any good? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yep. And uh, then after that, they said, uh, you know, it kind of actually first started as like, do you want to start doing some stuff for us? And frankly, I was just so tied up with my own business. Mm-hmm. I was. It was kind of one of those things. Is like, it's all or nothing for me, unfortunately. I either have to go all in with you guys or I got to keep with what I'm doing because right. I was busier than sin. Um, so, yeah, here I am working for Meat Eater, doing duck hunting content and, and products. You know, we we have our first light booth here mm-hmm. with our new camo, and which is probably something else we should talk about. Yeah, that's what I figured. That's, that's one of the wanderings that we should go through. But that... I think if people haven't watched that meat eater show that we were just talking about, that your first uh, your, your first go at it with meat yeah. eater, that was 
And those are some amazing hunts. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I think it's just called South Dakota Ducks, but it's in Meat Eater Season 9, if y'all are looking for one of the few Meat Eater duck hunts out there. We were hunting flooded corn, and that was when we had the opposite problem right back oh, then. an insane amount of water. We had an insane amount of water in the Dakotas that year. Uh, flooded corn, beans, wheat everywhere from Bismarck down to Brookings, especially the northeast corner of South Dakota. And, yeah, we're hunting flooded corn. It's f- and naturally flooded corn, not managed right. flooded corn. Right. Yeah, yeah. I would say, I, I can still say this, in my 20-some years in North Dakota, I have never seen intentionally flooded corn. No, neither have I. But I've experienced, we've experienced prairie boys now, we can say that. I'm from yep. Wisconsin, you're from Iowa, you said? Yep. I didn't yep. know that. Okay. But, yeah, I think we've been transplants long enough. But, yeah, of course we get those extraordinarily wet years. Yep. That makes a farmer pretty upset because yep. they can't get their crop off. But it makes us happy. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it makes the ducks happy at the very least. You know, you get these spots where you get a late summer thunderstorm that drops you know, seven inches of rain in one spot, and all of a sudden, boom, just an insane amount of water on that corn and beans. Yeah. Can you imagine? We should touch base a little bit about, I guess, you know, where we live in the breeding grounds. Yeah. And so a lot of the continent is wondering how things are going, particularly the southern duck hunters. I'm sure a lot of the duck hunters here in Arkansas are like, how's it going in the prairies? But we had a ridiculous drought last year. It was as dry as I've ever seen it. Yeah. Usually the dry cycle lasts for a few years. Yeah. For us in North Dakota, it lasted one year. Yeah, one and a half years for you guys. Oh, and we had tremendous amount of snow and consistent rains all spring and north dakota's in great shape but i think you and i talked on the phone last week and you said south dakota wasn't as no it's not as good i mean northern south dakota's sitting pretty uh like webster and the katota prairie sisseton all that country is sitting nice and wet uh you know down towards brookings and the southern end of the coteau and then like west towards huron not near as good it's pretty dry Uh, We went through it pretty – we did, like, if we hadn't got those perfectly well-timed spring rains, it would have been super dry. We did get the same shot, you know, that nice spring few storms there that dumped a bunch of water and snow. Uh, But we we didn't get it to stick as long and keep coming through as long as, you know – up towards you guys yeah it's, but north it's dakota shot. is so good this year yeah just shot after shot and and i would say it's not annoying you know a lot of times when you get a wet cycle you can't go outside yeah people start experiencing you know house damage their mm-hmm. foundation leaks or something but it's it's actually been just beautifully timed rains except for that giant i won't cuss the giant darn hailstorm that came through bismarck last week Holy cow! Golf ball size, yeah. Hail, wrecking everything. But that's uh, that's part of life on the prairies. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. There was that one uh, that they did classify as a derecho that they said started in Livingston, Montana, and ran all the way to almost Albert Lee, Minnesota. Wow! Like that's a storm, man. That, yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, dropping hail and crazy wind the whole way. Yeah, Williston, North Dakota. Which for those that are you know follow the oil boom of. North Dakota, Williston is in the far northwest corner, pretty darn close to Montana. They picked up baseball size. Yeah. Hey, I think you were mentioning that too, yeah, but they, I saw some photos. That, that'll knock you down. 
Yeah, they'll knock some crops down. Some I want. I would love to know what that does to ducks and how ducks avoid that out on the grassland and what it you know what it does mortality wise. Yeah, I've never heard of duck mortality as a result of that. I would imagine it happens There's though. There's got to be some, but they probably are pretty good at tucking their head under that. I mean, they've lived on the grassland for thousands and thousands of years. They've experienced hail. And so. there's thousands of them, right? right? So I guess, you know, you lose a handful. We were looking at a pie chart of all of the factors that determine whether a mallard population grows, declines, or stays the same. And it's over 80% of what affects a mallard's annual population happens on breeding season events. You take hunting, you take uh, hail, you take disease. Only 9% of a mallard's annual population is determined by those factors. Hunting, yeah, that's wild. disease, anything. So it's tiny. Hunting, regulated hunting is yeah. a wonderful thing. Don't feel bad. But yeah, it's all about hatching right. and hen survival and, and duckling survival. Which down here in the delta of Arkansas, I don't think quite always hits home for everybody. You know, because they're disconnected from the prairie. They don't. You know, down here, they don't necessarily see, um, you know, they realize the ducks come from up north, mm-hmm. but they don't see every year the fluctuations of habitat, right. farming practices, wetlands, predators, you know, grassland available, CRP. Mm-hmm. They don't see all those factors come tie into right. what ends up being their migration. Yeah, and we live it. And, right. And I don't know, I think... You can tell the story, but what we try to do is we try to bring people to the prairies. We'll organize some yeah. tours on occasion, All right, and it's, it's oh, here comes another raffle ticket. That lucky duck. Yep, so if you just listen to this and have that winning ticket, it's too late. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. So let's switch gears to that. Uh, I like you brought that up. So you're here uh, in the first light booth. Yeah. Repping, I guess, the the new the line new, of camouflage yep. and apparel. Yep, First Light's new waterfowl apparel and new camo, Typha camo, which is genus of cattail, um, and appropriately named. It's a you know it's a tan camo. Looks great in wheat, corn, cattails. Um, it's a marsh camo. Mm-hmm. It's not a a timber camo, but. Uh, one of the coolest things and, and a huge impetus for why we are here with our new camo is First Light and Delta Waterfowler, Delta Waterfowl's Camo for Conservation Initiative, which is a portion of our Typha sales going to Delta Waterfowl, which I'm stoked about, as you knew, because, you know, before Meat Eater, I was a lover and supporter of Delta, a member of Delta, and now... It's awesome for me to get to, through my job, support something I already love. You know, we can't appreciate it enough. And, you know, you and I talk on occasion, text more frequently, I think, Mm -hmm. because that, I guess texting is wonderful, but it's also kind of sad in the same way. So it's nice to be able to sit down here and record this in person. But, yeah, it's, we really appreciate it, you know, and, and I know you beat that drum. For Delta, and we appreciate it. You know, we call ourselves the Duck Hunters Organization. I think we live that. Yeah. Oh, and, of course. And so, really appreciate the support. And so, you know, I love that camo. One of I've always lived. I guess I've 
when I grew up in Wisconsin, we hunted quite a bit of uh, timber, not the yeah. green tree timber, but it was, you know, wooded woods, edges. Yeah, or uh, uh, flooded woods flooded by a beaver by dam. Beaver. Yeah. Yep. But I've, it always has been kind of a, a frustration of mine hunting mostly in cattails, sometimes in bulrush, sometimes in fields. It's just the camouflage is. I understand that the dark colors fit in in those really heavily wooded, timbered uh, locations, yeah. but I've always wanted something that was a little bit lighter, and I yeah. like that. Yeah, and I think you. I think it's good to have both. You know. Yeah. I really do. I think it's good to have both. When you're in a marsh the last thing you want to do is look like a dark blob mm-hmm. and vice versa when you're in something dark the last thing you want to do is look like a lantern <laughs> right so, yeah exactly um you know i think having both is good I, I think that goes to a larger point of like talking about supporting delta through the camo for conservation uh initiative you know i think it like hopefully the articles i'm writing for the meteor site duck lore all these different things we're trying to do and trying to bring awareness to delta i hope they can be a even larger than our relationship with delta i hope they can be a thing that makes folk more aware of science research conservation that leads to them having a delta membership every year having a extra duck stamp they buy every year donating every year come to an event like this every year Four one zero two. Four one zero two. That's Will Beatty, coworker of mine. I'm gonna give him a piece of my mind. <laughs> no, no it's he's great. doing his job. I'm yeah. just kidding. Uh, but it's great. Or I, I hope what it can do is help people realize, like, you know, what the what the guys post market hunting era realized as they lost almost all their ducks is like we have to be diligent and actively participating in conservation, whether it's through physical labor or our checkbooks, to have more ducks and have more primo habitat mm-hmm. and more hunting success. And I think sometimes hunting can be this transactional thing where you show up in a rice field or the timber or a cornfield and you shoot your ducks and go home, mm-hmm. not realizing all the beautiful habitat and kind of luck of the draw that went to that mallard ending up yep. in your lap in Arkansas and like hopefully even just a simple thing like camo for conservation can be like oh there's a way for me to buy something I like mm-hmm. you know buy some hunting gear and support actual duck production and what I love and I hope that that like simple connection of idea mm-hmm. right one plus one there leads to oh I can also go buy the gear I love at the Duck Hunters Expo right and at the same time like financially support the ducks I will shoot this fall yeah no Sean I'd have to say you know I read your articles I specifically tune into the meat eater episode yeah that that you're that you talk on once a month yep once a month yeah we do a Sean's duck report yeah, I know. You know, we've we've chatted a little bit, you know, about the subject, and I love collaborating with you on those types of things. And so I think you're a great ambassador for waterfowl hunting, waterfowl conservation. And I tell you what, you know, what you said there about educating, you know, our our constituent, and 
maybe you didn't say this, but maybe turning them into an activist of some sort. And, yeah. and I really think the future of hunting, as much as I hate to say it, it's uncertain. And the time to take hunting for granted was 30, 40 years ago. Right. I mean, especially as waterfowl hunters, we've lost, since the 1970s, lost about half of our waterfowl hunting population on this continent. Yep. And the other thing that scares me is hunters in general are, are getting old. Yep. And there's this massive wad of this massive age class of hunters that are in their late 50s to yep. mid-60s. They have about five to ten years of hunting left in them. Not that they're going to die. It's just studies show and statistics show that when you hit about 65 to 70 years of age. Yeah, your hips go bad. It gets yep. hard to You quit buying mud. a license. You quit yeah. buying a license. And the other thing is, you know, hunters. So if you take, hunters make up only about four to five percent of the U.S. population. So as the U.S. population continues to grow, we become a smaller and smaller right. uh, subgroup, and, yeah. and our voice is diminishing. Yeah. And so we need to get out there. And so anything that you can do, everything that you are doing, I, you yep. know, I think that's awesome. Yep. We appreciate it. Hey, let's go back a little bit. I am a first light guy. I've worn first light for quite a long time. I like the the cipher pattern. That's the yeah yeah yeah. It's because, again, it's very similar to where I live, where I hunt. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. And so, you know, a lot of the big game, uh, I, I guess, clothing have purpose built into them. Yeah. The waterfowl line, is that a... I, I haven't had yep. the opportunity yet to swing over to your booth and really get into those pieces. Do they have waterfowl-specific purposes as well? Yeah. So we have... Uh, we have... A mix of both. Some of the stuff we had for big game makes sense for waterfowl, meaning our wool stuff mainly. Right. Our base layers, mm -hmm. our merino. Okay. Um, that stuff is now, you know, that's been long-standing for slight products that are part of our big game and whitetail lineups that are now offered in the new Typha camo. Makes sense. Which I would encourage people to buy it in Typha because, again, goes a, a portion of that goes to Delta Waterfowl. Uh, but then... In addition to that, we have, this year, we have five new dedicated, like, waterfowl-designed products. We have the Refuge Collection, which is a uh, insulated parka, an insulated bib, and a muff. And those okay. products are, I mean, that is, like, late season. Where are you from? <laughs> Bismarck, yeah. North Dakota. Right. Very cold late season product. And those bibs will spoil you rotten. They are so warm. Uh, and then we have the landing zone jacket, which is a uninsulated waterproof shell jacket. Oh, and the refuge right. lineup is waterproof okay. stuff. Uh, but the landing zone jacket is a uninsulated, uh, you know, shell jacket. And then uh, we have the ground control pack, which is a new, it's our take on a blind bag. It's not a blind oh, bag. It's a, it. it's a backpack. That also you can kind of lay on its side and open up camera bag style, nice. which is pretty sweet. So, yeah, we have a mix of both. Okay. Right? And then some, I think you said something like magnetic closures on some of the pockets or things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, we've got, um, yeah, if you have a pacemaker, I'm sorry, <laughs> don't buy don't it. Don't get it. Oh, <laughs> but, no. But we have magnetic sealing pockets on them, which are waterproof because they're envelope style. So that's oh, nice. cool. Yeah, you know, that's what I like. You know, I, I've seen products, I, I won't list any, but I've seen products that are sold to, to duck hunters. 
and when I put it on, I say, this person didn't duck hunt. Yeah. You know, because it has intricate closures, yeah. hard-to-do things. Yeah. And so, yeah, when it's cold, really cold, near freezing or freezing, and you have to get into your pockets, the last thing you want to do is have to, you know, right, right. take your gloves off or have wet, cold yeah. hands. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that sounds that sounds really good. I, I, yeah. I'm going to have to go swing over and check that out. So everybody take a peek at that. Now, you do have some Tangle Free partnered Yeah, Tangle Free partnered with us on... Uh, on licensing the camo, right, and, mm -hmm. and putting the camo on on their products, which is sweet. Okay. So you know, panel blinds, gun straps, all that good stuff. Okay. And can people purchase those collaborative? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If you from... go to FirstLight.com, or you know, that's on Tangle Free too. But okay. Go to FirstLight.com; it's all available there. Tangle Free stuff included. Perfect. So I did see those grizzly mitts. Is that yeah. What okay. Yeah. Those are sweet. That's yeah. one of those products. If you run a boat when it's cold, ever must have because mm -hmm. it is nice for running a boat yeah see so. i have a pair for big game hunting and i like the suede on on the back mm -hmm. for when my nose is running mm -hmm. it, it's uh mm, that's good it's point. less yep. less chafing on that one that's pretty good yep so i guess let's uh let's kind of move into the maybe the final part of this conversation i think we could bs for the rest of the night absolutely but we got to save it for another recording yep let's go back to duck lore so I know last year was the first season. Yeah, so what we did is we filmed, uh, you know, the 21 to 22 season, and we broke up the release of that. We, so we filmed 12 locations. Um, we broke it up into two seasons release. We released season one in February on the Meat Eater YouTube channel, and then now we're releasing season two on the Meat Eater YouTube channel right now. Episode one of season two was Salt Lake, and then we uh, we went to Wyoming, Missouri, oh, cool. New Mexico, Arkansas, and South Dakota for snow geese. And so, very diverse amount of places, and, or you know, range of places, mm -hmm. location-wise. Um, you know, Salt Lake's always a unique, cool place. You and I should probably just do a whole conversation about that some other time yeah. about the Salt Lake, but. Um, you know, Wyoming was like, spoiler alert, the best hunting I've ever seen. We just, it was one of those hunts where you're giggly and you have to acknowledge on camera, like, I'm giggly because this doesn't happen. Really? Like, it's that good. What were the species there? So we hunted for, the episode only shows two days of hunting, but it was four days. Um, we killed our limits of geese every single day, and we then we're like okay well we should go hunt ducks like change it up you know just because yeah, yeah and too uh, much of a good thing and then went the last day and you know shoot limits of ducks and it was just it was just too perfect that's awesome that's awesome so so the question there sean is was there any so episode one to twelve did you was there any rhyme or reason to how you split them up like chronologically, or did you pick and choose? How did you, how did you choose how to separate those twelve hunts into two seasons? Oh, we just did them chronologically. So they are okay. Yeah. So it's a sequence, and so yep. So the six were already out there. You're releasing them one at a time, starting. Now? Yeah. Yep. Every Tuesday they're releasing, which uh, you know by the time you listen to this, there's probably been three out by okay. now. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're on the Meteor YouTube channel. They're you know anywhere from twenty to twenty-five minutes long, and They've got a mix of education in there, and they're real. 
Yeah. They're like, they're genuinely what you experience as a waterfowler. And that's the one thing I won't sacrifice on that show. You know, mm-hmm. I, sometimes I make myself look like an idiot. On the Wyoming episode, I miss the mother of all shot calls, like, bad. So, really? So bad, Joel. It was, <laughs> I mean, you know, Canada geese just sprinkling across the spread, dropping out of the flock. And I'm kind of expecting the flock to turn in and finish hooked towards us. And they hook away. I just, like, kind of get flustered for a second thinking it's going to not do that. Right. And don't call the shot with, like, 12 geese sitting across the spread. Just bad shot call. It's just bad. But, you know, call it out. Show it. Like, that's My, something that's real. everybody's yeah. done, man. It's everybody. If you haven't messed up a shot call, you're just not calling the shot enough. No. I mean, I, I think it happens regularly for most mm-hmm. people. Just because, you know, the more you've been at it, you'd think you could be able to predict, you know, what's going to happen better. But, you know, you get, you get a flock of whatever approaching your spread and you think, okay, one more time. Yeah. You probably could have harvested birds right then and there, but just like one more time. And then they change their mind and do something else. Yep. Yep. Totally. So I got to totally. ask you, I got to ask you, Sean. So, you know, I've done with my time at Delta, I've, I've taken people hunting, you know, just friendly hunts, people that support Delta. But I have to admit, I always feel pressure to oh, the yeah. point where it sucks a little bit of the fun out of it. Mm-hmm. Are you enjoying this whole yeah, for me... I mean, the, the answer is yes. Yes, but. for sure. Uh, but the, for me, because I've worked in film for a while now and worked in production, there's certainly a little bit of it that can suck the fun out of it. But more than that, for me, it's an added challenge. Like, we're not just hunting. We're also telling a story. And the added challenge of portraying a story well... Right, so I write all my own voiceover. Um, okay, and you know, writing the story of that hunt, like really trying to portray what we went through, what we felt, what we experienced, and and hopefully getting the viewer to experience that same thing through a camera lens rather than being there is a challenge. It's hard to do, yeah. but it's fun for me to try to accomplish that challenge. So, so I do enjoy it. You know, there's days where, yeah, you want to curse cameras and mm-hmm. curse the whole process and it say screw it. It can be hard. It. it can be very you hard. Know, you get finicky ducks or you know spooky ducks and yeah. have all those cameras and all that yeah. going on. But then there's days where you literally could stand in the spread, wave your arms, and they're still coming <laughs> right, in. Right, right. And, and, you know, I think uh, both of those are experiences that waterfowlers all have every season of those spooky ducks and those great ducks. And... Uh, I just want to be able to capture that and show it for what it is. Like, show it for what the everyday duck hunter experiences. Because that's what I am. I'm, you know, I'm just Sean out hunting ducks. That's, <laughs> that's right. really what so, it is. So when you were had your own company, mm-hmm. you were the cameraman. Yeah. yeah. Now you're not. Uh, correct. So what is it, just curious, Yeah. Uh, what is it that you enjoy most? Is it the storytelling now? What for is, sure. That's your... Yeah, I would say, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love shooting ducks, even when I had my own company. Like, I spent a ton of time shooting my own ducks every year. It wasn't just filming other people. But uh, for sure, my favorite thing, and you see that in the podcast segments I do and the articles too. I love to tell stories. Because I think, you know, you look at some of the history of waterfowl hunting. I think 
one of the coolest things that we can lay claim to in waterfowling is the legends and the stories, mm -hmm. right? You go read Nash Buckingham, and it gives you the same chill down your spine in his writings now as it would have 100 years ago. Yeah. And so if I do my job right, I can tell stories that for years and years to come, guys will enjoy watching, listening, reading, and be like, oh, that, you know, gets me pumped for season, gets me pumped for duck hunting. So I figured out what a good episode for us to do. Mm -hmm. I own two side-by-side muzzleloader shotguns. Okay. So it's one of my favorite ways to hunt ducks. That would be cool. It's it's a blast. I have one that that's, really cool. that is probably a hundred years old, and I still still hunt with it. And then I have a, a modern day replica with choke tubes and chrome line barrels. That's a lot of fun. But uh, no, that's great. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad this is working out for you, Sean. Uh, appreciate the time. Appreciate you uh, saying good things about Delta. Yeah. You know? No, I'm pumped to work with you guys. Pumped to in any way even if it's just a membership every year you know but I, I love getting to be part of this it's awesome no it's great so just make sure that i want to flag a few things so again first light the brand new line yep uh typha camo yep head to firstlight.com i believe it's front and center right now isn't it yep. on yep. the website yep check it out i understand that almost all of the products are available right yeah yeah, by the time you're listening to this, probably all of it will be available. But uh, there's like a couple products that are held back right now, truthfully, shipping yep. issues. Um, but almost all of it's available right okay. now. And then the other way, a couple of the other ways, let's see, again, just a refresher, you're a, a monthly participant on the Meat Eater podcast, yep. Sean's Duck Minute? Sean's Duck Report. Duck yep. Report. Yep. It's longer than a minute. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to cheat that. Because I like to talk. Yeah. So is that... <laughs> I suppose it's not a regular uh, every so many. Yeah, you know, the best the best way to see all that, honestly, is if you go to TheMeatEater.com. We have a waterfowl category, and there you can scroll through and see absolutely everything from articles to how-to videos, duck lore episodes, the new type of gear, stuff I've done with Delta. You can see Matt Chenard from Delta's How to Make a Hen House mm -hmm. video there. Um, and there's a segment under that waterfowl category on that page where it's all the waterfowl-related Meat Eater podcast episodes. Okay. So every episode is collected there, which awesome. is sweet. See, that's great. So then, but if someone went to YouTube, type in Duck Lore? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. YouTube, Duck Lore, and also same deal. It's on that waterfowl category page on MeatEater.com. Duck Lore's there as well. You can pretty much live there and, and see everything you'd ever want. Okay. And then Instagram... Sean Weaver, DM... DWC. DWC. Yes, sir. Got it. Okay. Yep. Well, if you can't find Sean, I tried to help. It's Yeah, no. It's easy enough. Yeah. It should be. Give it a try, folks. Yep. Yeah, Sean's a good guy, good ambassador. Keep it up. Thanks, Joel. Thanks See for ya. having me. I, I'm so pumped to be here. This has been a fun event so far, and That's it's only awesome. day one. It is. So, all right, Sean. Well, we'll stay in touch. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have any questions... Podcast at deltawaterfowl.org. Meat Eater. Meat Eater.com. The Meat Eater.com. Yep. All so, good. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks, Joel.